Welcome. Hello and welcome to the All In My Head podcast. We're glad you decided to give this podcast a listen. We're a group of teens that are making a podcast for youth by youth. We will counter stereotypes around mental health in the teen, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus community and talk about things you might find a little uncomfortable. It's, it's real teens, real LGBTQ plus. Too long or a useful tool for encompassing sexual and gender orientations. But what if there is no way we can fit them all into one acronym? Hello, and welcome to the All In My Head podcast. It's Anna again. Today I'll be telling the story of the LGBTQ acronym and help answer some of these confusing questions. After that, we will have a conversation where we discuss the acronym. Just before we start, I wanted to give a content warning. Some of the topics we discuss cover violence against transgender individuals so listener discretion is advised. Starting on an auspicious Berlin day in 1869, the label homosexual appeared in a German pamphlet penned by Karl Maria Kurtbeni. Kurtbeni was an Austrian-born Hungarian journalist and human rights campaigner who researched and supported gay rights and pursuits were merely, quote, anthropological interest and, quote, concern for the rights of man. He wrote 25 books during a 58-year lifespan. Today, his gravesite lies on the famed Budapest National Graveyard on Fiume Street, where it is common to see wreaths laid during Hungarian gay festivals. Now, if we move quickly on to the 1980s, LGB was used, and then later in the 1990s, LGBT was adopted from LGB. The decision to put the L in front of the LGBT was made to stop a ratio of women within the community. The decision to add T for transgender can best be explained by Peter Tatchell of the Outrage Human Rights Group, who in 2009 told the publication Mothership Blog, quote, Sexual orientation, gender, gender roles, and gender identity are all interlinked. They are a part of a matrix of issues that revolve around sexuality and definitions of masculinity and femininity. That is why gay liberation is so strongly linked to women's liberation, and rightly also linked to transgender liberation. Straight machismo and orthodox male and female roles underpin the oppression of queers, transgender people, and the female sex. Unquote. To give an updated take on why the T is an LGBT, Ivana Fisher from Wissy Magazine in 2019 explains that while the T in LGBT has been added to symbolize the shared Solidarity at equal levels exists between members of the community. As Tatchell would say, many transgender individuals have received but, quote, a crumb of solidarity in return. We have asked for protection in gay spaces and had it thrown in our faces, unquote. While the T has been added in name, transphobia is still present in gay spaces, not just straight spaces, and it needs to be addressed. It should go without saying that you can be transphobic and gay. Based on this, Fishery frames the question, why is the T included in LGBT, to why do so many people try to act like it isn't in the first place? To read the full amazing article by Ivana Fisher, please check out our citation document. Now if we move to the 2000 present, the term LGBTQ plus emerges. The full extent of LGBTQ plus includes LGBTQQIP2SAA, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, queer, intersex, pansexual, two-spirit, which is the 2S, 
androgynous, and asexual. According to researching for LGBTQ plus 2S plus health, two-spirit refers to a person who identifies as having both a masculine and feminine spirit and is used by some indigenous people to describe their sexual gender and or spiritual identity. But even then, this acronym still doesn't cover all identities. Identities such as aromantic, panromantic, or scoliosexual aren't covered. While the term list is expanding, it's okay to feel overwhelmed or to not know which label you exactly fit into. The choice is really up to you, and from my experience, it takes a little while to find one that really fits, and that's okay. Want to know more? Check out Healthline's 46 terms that describe sexual attraction, behavior, and orientation. The link will be in our Instagram bio. So, identities. In the present, there is a TikTok-created phenomenon known as super straight. According to Refinery29, the term super straight is, quote, designation for people who are so straight that they can't possibly be attracted to a trans person. The so-called super straight designation had a subreddit and a merch line, which has been taken down, thankfully. Although there seemed to be quite a lot of marketing, enough to make Crest Rainbow Toothpaste have a run for their money, the colors they chose were orange and black, the exact colors of the Grindr logo. Easy mistake. Based on the definition of super straight, the purpose of the group is to remove every single transgender person from their dating pool. In doing so, they are invalidating trans identities, meaning they aren't acknowledging that for a fact, trans women are women and trans men are men. Sure, you can believe in this term, but that doesn't subtract from the fact that it's transphobic. This is an identity or personal sexuality. It's just plain old transphobia. Claiming to be persecuted to the point that you have to make an entire movement is violent to our transgender community and a mockery to those who do real work and push for gender and sexual equality. You don't have to date anyone if you don't want to, but there's no need to intentionally marginalize and invalidate other people. Gender itself is a social construct anyways. There are men with vaginas and women with penises, so this super straight is just transphobic because they specify trans people, not what genitalia they prefer and gender expression they prefer. No matter what, it is still very real and harmful transphobia. Next up, we have a conversation covering the transphobia of Super Straight and more, starring Lane, Madeline, and me. I hope you're not tired of me yet, and we hope you enjoy. So, to start off, I'll have everyone go around and virtually introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Madeline. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a bisexual Native American. Hi, my name's Lane. I use he, him pronouns. I'm 16. I'm a sophomore in high school. I'm gay. I'm a white male. Cis. We would also like to acknowledge that there are just three people, and we don't really represent the amazing diversity of the entire LGBTQ plus community, and these are just our opinions. So let's start the conversation. So first, do we need these labels? Do we need the label lesbian, gay, bisexual, why or why not? I think it's really up to each individual person whether they think they need a label or not. I mean, like, I choose to label myself, but other people may not choose to label themselves, and that's totally okay. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think these labels are only necessary for people who actually desire them. 
Like, if you're someone who wants labels, great. If you don't want labels, great. My biggest pet peeve is when people ascribe labels to others or feel need to pin someone else down as a certain thing. Because, like, especially as people are growing up, their identities might be more fluid and they might not want a label or even know what to label themselves as or what they fully are. So I think that in that way, labels can actually be harmful. Right. And sometimes people might want to pick a label right away and they feel like they have to stick with that label no matter what, which I think can be pretty harmful as well. Just a note to viewers that you can change your label whenever you want. You don't have to stick with one, the one you chose when you were little or something like that. Yeah, I know a lot of people I know have felt like very boxed in by labels and like gender and sexuality is fluid and there's no reason why you should stick with one thing if it changes over time as you grow and evolve. Moving on to the next question, does something like a single word, so instead of just an acronym, a single word to encompass all of LGBTQ plus sound more appealing instead of an acronym, or do you think we should just keep it? I personally like the acronym just because it gives the sound that there's multiple unique identities in the community instead of just like encompassing everyone and generalizing. Mm -hmm. um, so I personally like it because it feels like my identity is in there and it's not just like one word that encompasses everybody else. Yeah, I mean, speaking to what you said about, like, your identity being in there, I think the problem with it, with, like, the LGBTQ plus acronym, is that sometimes there's longer or shorter acronyms, but it only recognizes certain identities. And so for me, a term like queer is a more all-encompassing term, because while it doesn't specifically shout out certain identities, it also doesn't exclude others. And I know that there's the plus at the end of the acronym, but for me, queer is just a better term because... It's something that like we as the LGBTQ plus community have reclaimed and I'm comfortable using the word queer. I know some people aren't, but it's just a more welcoming and like open term. Yeah, you definitely make a good point with that. And I didn't really think about that when I was speaking, but like I definitely be open to like just using one word. I'm not like I'm going to use the acronym forever. That You made a really good point there. Yeah, I would also say that just having the plus kind of takes away from the things that are in the plus because a lot of people don't say the full entire acronym and just having like one word to be more inclusive might be better in that way and also just like having the t at the end or the q at the end it might have some problems because you're putting one in front of the other yeah and i mean so many people that i know just shorten it to like lgbt where they just exclude the plus or the q which, again, just sort of reinforces the idea that the queer community is limited to these four identities and that there's not, like, a fluid spectrum of identities and two-spirit isn't included in that and generally isn't included in most LGBTQ acronyms used to describe the queer community. Okay, now moving on to more personal questions. Uh, how do you feel about labeling yourself? Why or why not have you labeled yourself? And is it helpful to label yourself? So personally, I sometimes label myself when I'm in a group that I'm comfortable with. But like at my school, I'm not even technically out. Like if someone just like asked me, like, are you gay? I'd be like, yeah, but I haven't like stood on top of a mountain and shouted to the crowds that I'm gay. So like in that way, I haven't really labeled myself. But, you know, it's part of who I am. It's an identity. And I feel pretty confident that I am gay. So I just label myself as that. I think it can be helpful to label yourself in certain spaces just because it can help you connect with other people who 
also have that same identity or an identity that intersects with that. And you can sort of gain common ground on that. And also, like, it's just like it's a part of who you are. And so if you want to label yourself, you can or you can just be like, I'm attracted to men and leave it at that. Yeah, I chose to label myself because to me, it gave me like a reinforcement of my identity, which is really important for my personal well-being. So I've definitely chosen to label myself and I don't like shout it from the rooftops, like you said, Lane, but if women are brought up, I'm like, hey, women. (laughs) Um, So I, I think that like labeling myself was an important part of me and I'm definitely glad that I came out. I think I feel like I labeled myself for others kind of in the way that like you might have like done it for yourself but for me sometimes it's just like so that I can like come out to other people and not be like well I'm not actually totally sure and like you know I'm still a teenager so I don't know if this is going to evolve or be more fluid. Yeah I would definitely agree with that Um, in certain spaces I feel like I have to use a term whatever term it is and oftentimes people are like confused when I labeled myself as gay, I don't really prefer lesbian um, because of how like sexualized the term is. So yeah, it's like it's difficult depending on the circumstance. You feel like you have to say lesbian in some cases or else people just like won't understand. And it's, it's like, why? Why can't you understand this? So it often feels like you're trying to validate yourself in front of other people when you shouldn't have to do that. And I think... Another thing with labels is they can be harmful when they're used very aggressively. And what I mean by that is intense micro-labeling is something that has happened where people, like, feel the need to ascribe a label to every single part of who they are, including, like, preferences, whether or not they're attracted to people, if they know them or don't know them or, like, know them personally. Or there's just, like, so many different tiny labels to label like every single little part of who you are yeah sometimes it's easier to just find a word and just if people ask you answer but if they don't it's such a pain to figure out everything out and you just kind of live life and figure things out all right so super straight is our next topic how do you feel about the term and how is it doing damage to the lgbtq plus community The term really infuriates me because it just is so degrading to anyone who's not cis. And the fact that people really made like merch and stuff about it is even worse. It really makes me mad. Yeah, I think it just like makes a mockery of the entire queer community, honestly, because similarly to the like the Blue Lives Matter movement, which of course only came up after the Black Lives Matter movement gained traction, it's in opposition to the other group and it's just trying to make a mockery of them and fanalize them and make them seem less than or worse somehow. And I think the idea of super straight not being attracted to an entire sect of people is horrible because you don't know every trans person. You don't know who they are, what they look like. And so to say just right off the bat, I'm not attracted to a single trans person is horridly transphobic. And the fact that they're making merch for it and calling it a sexuality just makes a mockery of the LGBTQ plus community. And anytime I see that in someone's bio or they, you know, talk positively about that, I just know that that's not someone that I want to be around. And they clearly have an issue with toxic masculinity. Right. I think that's a great point, how it makes a mockery of kind of the entire struggle of 
the transgender and I guess you could say LGBTQ plus community as a whole, they're trying to say that their identity is so persecuted that they have to create an identity for it, which is just, you know, a complete mockery of just the LGBTQ plus community who faces real violence. And these super straight people aren't being specifically oppressed because of their identities, which is something that transgender people face in this country today. So that's why I think it's so infuriating, is that mockery. Yeah, there's been so much transphobia in, like, the media right now with, like, certain states passing, like, super transphobic bills and stuff. But this just, like, added to it, and it's just becoming normalized to be transphobic, and it's terrible. Yeah, there's literally been, like, over 80 anti-transgender bills introduced in 2021. It's ridiculous how many are being presented and I think that Super Straight is contributing to that. And the funniest thing to me is that it originated from Nazi sympathizers on a 4chan thread. This is not a legitimate group. This is something created by horrible people who have nothing better to do than to persecute trans people. Yeah, and it's really disappointing to see such a large group of people on TikTok hop onto that trend. Um, especially, you know, young people that you might find in your school it's really disappointing and just infuriating to see yeah and like it's mostly young like very impressionable people that are like joining this movement and i worry that it's going to foster more anti-trans violence in the future because as we already know especially trans people of color are targeted in violent attacks more often than almost any other like identity group in the united states and it's a huge issue and this whole anti-trans movement is only contributing to that. So I really fear for the safety of um, trans people within the United States. All right, now we're going to move on to our second to last question. This is more focused on mental health. So how have labels and current events about acronyms affected your mental health? I don't really like to follow current events anymore because it does hurt my mental health. And especially when it has to do with like one of my identities, I kind of tend to ignore it because it's not something that needs to be part of my life. Like it just, it's usually more harmful than helpful to me. And like the super straight thing definitely like made me mad and upset me. So I stopped reading about it. And that's personally just what I do. I mean, as a white cis man, I am not the most persecuted identity. Like realistically, I'm not at nearly as high a risk as any people of color or trans people within the LGBTQ community. But I have so many friends that are genderqueer, people of color, lesbian, who are targeted, fetishized, and are victims of violence and bullying within their communities. And I think seeing the current events about that, seeing just like images of brutalized bodies being shared across like Instagram like people who have been victims of attacks just like thrown around on Instagram and like a little hashtag put there and they're you know used as the face of a movement like that's traumatizing it's overwhelming yeah and it's crazy how like sharing those attacked people is just become so normalized I've really only seen like a couple like posts trying to like target how like that's really like really traumatizing and can be really not okay for some people and the rest of the people just continue to post them and it's really hard to avoid them at this point. 
And half the people who post that stuff, like, they're not even aware of their biases. They don't make any effort to change and better themselves or the world. Like, they just, like, post that and call it good and then, you know, make discriminatory comments and, like, you know, use a lot of microaggressions. And then they, you know, share a post. They're like, oh, yep, I'm good. It's just performative activism. And I think that that is a large problem right now. And obviously there are a ton of ways that social media has helped the Black Lives Matter movement and the LGBTQ plus community, but I think there there are harmful effects that need to be addressed. Yeah, I think those are great points. And if you really look down to why these people are even posting it, right, it really just boils down to performative activism. And that's just disgusting because they're basically selling these posts of people and just devaluing them down to those like horrific moments. And it's so inhuman. They don't actually make any effort to know who that person was or who they represented or who their family was. And they're just posting these things because they think it'll make them look better in their friends' or family's eyes. That's why I think it's it's so disappointing to see that. So I know in our last episode, we talked a little bit about cultural appropriation. And I think that What's happening on social media right now is almost appropriation of movements and of actual activists. So people are just kind of like sharing the posts of people who are doing a ton of work on the ground and appropriating that post and making it seem like they're the ones doing the work or like they are the activist. And then they post that and call it good and go back to their normal life where they use microaggressions and all of that. And they pretend to be part of the movement when they're not actually And so I just wanted to share that connection. I totally agree with that. I think usually when I post something on my story, it's usually resources like hotlines or a way you can donate. And I usually try to stay away from that kind of thing because it just seems like you're just taking advantage all these people's real work. And you should use your space to do your own work or to share resources. I don't really see why you do something different. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're doing your own work to further the movement or improve yourself and reduce your microaggressions and become more anti-racist, that's great. But so many people just put no effort into anything other than posting on their story. And I think that's where the problem comes in. Right. I think you could kind of call this armchair activism where they don't, you know, go out in the world and interrupt hate crimes or hate violence or you know hate speech in general and then they post something and say oh I'm done and I know like not everyone necessarily has the time to like you know go out and join an organization and participate in protests but there are ways that you can be an anti-racist and be an ally to the queer community without necessarily like joining a activist movement just interrupting like everyday conversation when you know someone's like oh that's so gay Or something like that. You know, I hear it from heterosexual people who are cisgender and, you know, they just make disparaging comments or, you know, God, like, can't believe they're letting, like, trans people into the bathrooms. Like, interrupt that. Like, call them out on that. Tell them to shut up because that's not okay. And doing that is going to have an impact on them because when you just, like, call them out in front of a group of people, that's embarrassing. And they're going to remember that. Most definitely. Okay. We're going to wrap it up with one last question. What are some LGBTQ plus related sources, books, or movies that you would recommend? 
I think that a really great book for anyone, especially who is trans and religious, uh, again, connecting back to our earlier episode on the intersection of religion and LGBTQ identity, Life Beyond My Body is a story about a Christian transgender man in China, and he was the first openly trans man in China, and he escaped the U.S. and had surgery done, and it's a really, really, really well-written book. I would definitely, like, recommend joining your SAGA or QSA meeting at school if you're comfortable doing that or finding your local Q center. Yeah, especially groups in Portland like the Sexual and Gender Minority Youth Resource Center, otherwise known as SMERC. They just provide a really great space for sexual and gender minority youth where they can get food and participate in art, music, stuff like that. Talk with other youth who have those same identities and are also struggling. And then for older people, I know the Q Center in Portland has a lot of really great resources as well. Groups for you to connect with other people who share your identities and talk about your struggles. Yeah, and for youth that might be international that are listening, The Trevor Project is always a great way to go. They have a lot of resources, and you can talk to people like you, which is great. All right, next we're going to listen to Rianne, who has a short excerpt on being asexual. Hello, my name is Rianne Moore. I identify myself as asexual. Asexuality is a lack of interest in sexual attraction or low or absent interest in or desire for sexual activity. It may also be categorized more widely to include a broad spectrum of asexual sub-identities. Asexuality is a distance from abstention from sexual activity and other silly bases, which are behavioral and generalized, generally moved by factors such as individuals' personal, social, or religious beliefs. Some will say, sex is gross, or no, I don't want to have sex, or I don't want to have sex, please stop. It will occur during these situations that if the person tells you you don't want to have sex, then don't have sex with him or her. There's different kinds of ace attractions. Sensual attraction, the desire to interact with other in a tactical non-sexual way such as hugging or calling. Romantic attraction, attraction that makes people desire romantic contact or interaction with a person or persons. Emotional attraction, the desire to get to know someone, often as a result of their personality and their, their physicality. This type of attraction may, is present in most relationships from platonic friendship to, to romantic and sexual relationships. Asexual has, also has a romantic orientation. It's described as an individual pattern of romantic attraction based on a person's gender. Regardless of one's sexual orientation, for individuals who experience sexual attraction, their sexual orientation and romantic orientation are often in alignment. They experience sexual attraction towards individuals of the same genders as the individuals that are interested in forming romantic relationships with. Here are the list of the romantic attraction types. Aromantic. Individuals who do not experience romantic attraction towards individuals of any gender. Biromantic. Romantic attraction towards males and females. Heteromantic. Romantic attraction towards persons of a different gender. Homoromantic. Romantic attraction towards persons of the same gender. Panoromantic. Romantic attraction towards persons of every gender. Polyromantic. Romantic attraction towards multiple but not all genders. It can be understanding that identities and attractions, it is important 
to remember that orientation attractions do not necessarily define or predict behavior. This is another important reason why it is important to ask people how they identify as you cannot assume you know someone's identity based on their behavior. So that's asexual. Awesome. Thank you all for coming and thank you to our viewers for listening. Coming up next, our episode on the acronym BIPOC is coming out. BIPOC stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. If you enjoyed this episode, please give that one a listen and a share. Have a great day. This was Real Teens Real Talk. Make sure to check out our Instagram at the underscore all in my head podcast. This podcast was created using a grant from the Oregon Alliance to Prevent Suicide in partnership with the Association of Oregon Community Mental Health Programs and with funding from the Oregon Health Authority. The adult advisor is Nicole Mayer, music by Waterboy, shared on Pixabay.